button. Um, I just want to catch us up with where we are. Uh, so this one I titled uh, now. That is correct, though. Leo is going to be mad at me, but it is from 7 to 17. <laughs> I did change it. It's going to be a vision of restoration. Um, so what we talked about last time was that Zechariah was uh, telling the returned exiles to return. God was calling them to return to me, and I will return to you. That was the big call, he said. Then I got the kids to have three points. Those three points was return to me. The wrath of a God is good because God is against evil and sin, and he will judge that. And the third one, the Lord, the word of the Lord stands forever and will complete its purpose. So that was kind of what we learned last time. And, and then you was like, I don't know where Zechariah is. Um, it's in the Old Testament. It's one of those we call the minor prophets, not because they were short, but because their books were short. Um, in in the last twelve uh, prophets are called the minor prophets. So the one of them is Zechariah. He is uh, is uh, is prophesying these uh, visions in this time, and it's after the Jews have been allowed to return from from exile to come back. Uh, I like maps, so there's a bunch of maps. Um, so they can go back, and this is like the area they can go back to, the green one down there in your right. Um, this is the great empire that they had to escape and come back, uh, and this is how they went by the red one, and this is like the administration kingdom's part that was there. And you're like, but where is it in the Bible? In the in the timeline of redemption, it is uh, over on the left, and Jesus will be coming. We can't. Well, the New Testament will be on your right uh, over there, but here we're at the beginning of the end of the Old Testament. They they are prophesying to the people who have returned to uh, Jerusalem, uh, com com contemporaries is uh, Haggai uh, and also this is right after Ezra and Nehemiah will come afterwards uh, so that's kind of where they're fitting in so it's after God had judged his people taken them out of the land and now they have returned back to the land but things are not really great uh, Ezra came back and he started to rebuild the temple, but pe the people around them weren't really happy that they were coming back, so they s forced them to stop the rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem because they got scared of the enemies. So God sends Haggai, Haggai and Zechariah to encourage God's people to build up the temple, to rebuild Jerusalem. And then that's where we are in in the story. Uh, if you have questions about that, because it, like Lee sent me some links to a guy and does, he had two hours of introduction. I put him on, on, on twice speed and I saw it all. But <laughs> uh, I'm not going to spend two hours setting it up. But um, if you have questions, 
that will be helpful, or you just want more to know about the book, uh, just come and ask me, and we, I'll, I'll give you more things to research uh, and to know if you want more sur surrounding in information about all those things. Uh, one of those is, uh, oh yeah, there you can see um, what I just said in, in, in the timeline. Uh, I have actually taken some classes. I'm not just uh, without classes, but I took one in the Old Testament. And this was one of the things that uh, the teacher said. I didn't remember he said this, but I had it on a copy. Um, that and it's actually maybe also why Joseph was uh, wanting us to do it. There's, there seems to be so many quotations from Zechariah in the New Testament, which is true. Uh, because it's, uh, it is quoted many times in Revelation, but also around Jesus' uh, uh, last week, many of the gospel writers uh, are correlating it with Jesus. Uh, we'll get there. It's not right now, but we'll get there in the book. Um, so that was just one of the things I did forget in the introduction, um, that it's a, it's a book that's used a lot in the New Testament. With all those, uh, 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 all those extra uh, things to just catch us up to speed. We'll read our text for today, which is the 10 verses from 7 through uh, 17. And I will deliver. There will be horses today. So I promised that last time. So, um, so let's hear the word. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, saying, I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red shroud and white horses. I had to look up three words there in the English language. Then I said, What are these, my lord? The, angle, the angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are those, they, these are they who the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they an answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all our earth remains at rest. The angel of the Lord said, O oh Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, against which you have had been angry these 70 years? And the Lord answers, Gracious, comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the angel who talked with me said to me, cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion, and I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For a while I was angry, but a little they furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy, my house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched over Jerusalem. 
cry out again. Thus says the Lord of hosts, my city shall again overflow with prosperity and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. So, as I said, I had to look up three words in the first one. What is a glen? I have no idea what a glen is. Um, so I had to look up those things. But first, we're just going to go through it, verse by verse. We'll talk about original meaning to the Jews, and then I'm not a Jew, so how does this relate to me? So that's going to be three points. We're going to go through Jews, me, or not me, us. All right. Oh, I forgot part of my introduction, though. No. That's... We don't care. No, it's, uh, it's because, uh, like, few people have quoted, uh, like, said to me, like, why, like, you are brave going through Zechariah? I was like, I'm not brave, but maybe I'm naive, but I'm not brave. But I believe that every time we pick up the Bible, we need the Holy Spirit to help us. And I'm one of those people. So I pray that the Lord will reveal to us what he wants us to know about him. So... That's why I think we can pick whatever book we want and the Lord will teach us because I think that's what we talked about last time. That all scripture is God breathed and Jesus talks about there, it's, it's all about me. So uh, I don't think I'm brave. I just think the Lord will help us. So this is the second time uh, the word of the Lord comes to Zechariah. At this time, it's in the night, and people call it these are the night visions. Um, and he sees a man, and, and this is where English gets confusing, because they should have just said, there's a man sitting on a horse. But no, there's the connotion, something about, in English, you can't apparently just sit on a horse. You say people ride on a horse. In Danish, you say, there's a man sitting on a horse. Because, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's not. So there's a person on a horse uh, among the trees in a glen. In a glen, what are you talking about? The gl- uh, I had to look it up on the, what do you call those dictionaries. Apparently it's a thing that's only in northern England, which is, <laughs> which is, a, uh, but I guess it's because it's specific. It's a, uh, it would be called a ravine. Uh, it's not a valley, but it's in between some cliffs kind of thing. thing uh, and apparently that was the best word they had for it. I had no idea what it meant. Uh, so I had to look it up. So you're picturing the scene. Someone's on a horse. They're stuck in between some cliffs things, but there's tree. Oh, we get to the next part. There's trees. There's myrtle trees there. And then there's a sh- shroud color. I was like, what? After much research uh, about horses, no, it, it, it was, uh, it, there's a red horse, there's a, maybe we'll call it chestnut horse color, and there's a white horse. Somebody, I think, that was smart said, I think the guy's trying to say there's horses in all the way, all the colors that horses are. I, like, I think that's smart. <laughs> um, And so the obvious question is like, well, okay, so what does that mean? And that's so good because we have an interpreted interpreter in 
we have a person translating this stuff to the guy, interpretation angel here, which is really smart to have. Oh, I'm just going to explain what an angel is. An angel is not a fat baby with a harp with wings. With wings. My language is horrible today. Uh, which we had much fun on in one of the studies with the kids because there was like a kid show. But so, so no, an angel is a messenger. And all of you guys know that. I get super frustrated at, at Christmas time because all the angels come out and they all have wings and like, there's no wings on angels. Uh, because we don't have any of that. But what about Revelation? Yeah, they're not angels. They're seraphim. That's something different. Huh? Uh, so when we're talking about angels, because we never see them described as people with angels. They look like what? They look like men. So this is, Zechariah's not saying, the man with wings came to me. No. A man came, or an angel came, a messenger came. Um, my mother is tired of me when I say this all the time at Christmas. So it's just a picture. Well, I think... We make, we do disadvantages by making false pictures of theology. theology. But my mom just, uh, sorry, was on a side side track. That's the disadvantage of watching stuff with me. That uh, doesn't matter. Um, so that's what an angel is. It's a messenger of God that comes with messages. We know very little actually about these ones. Uh, um, the Jews don't stop, you know, we have, we have the Bible here. The Jews have plenty of other books where they elaborate immensely on their theology of angels. Uh, we don't, they're not in the Bible, so I don't think we can take them as, as, as right. But they do, they do exist. And there's like a elaborate, elaborate, elaborate things of what angels can and many of them have names or something we we don't we have two names from the new testament gabriel and michael michael's in the old testament but, but we only have two names of them we don't know much about them other than people are freaked out when they see them most of the time in the new testament they all think they're going to die and the first thing they say is don't be afraid um so yeah but <coughs> And yes, so a little bit of angelology here. We'll go on uh, uh, with the next part. Yes, here. He asks the question, what is this? What are these? Then the angel who talked with me said, I'll show you what they are. But then somebody else speaks. <laughs> Slightly confusing sometimes. Uh, he said, these are those whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. Okay. So he's seeing this picture. I think I actually have a slide with it. There. I think this was a good explanation. So, so the angel explains to Zechariah after he asked, what, what is this? And he says to him, well, these people, uh, then the other person responds, or the well being response, these are all the these are the ones who have patrolled the whole earth and the, the earth is at peace. So this guy, Bodia, says that we see this is a drawn from military conscious. A group has been re 
returning from a world reconnaissance. The mission is to report back to God how things are. Um, and so he says it reminds the reader that the Lord is always in control. Also, when things are not going their way. So, so that's the first part of the picture he has at night. Um, yes. Not necessarily super encouraging uh, for them because uh, they probably would like there to be some unrest so that they could be freed from the enemies who had them stop building the temple. Uh, so maybe they were like, oh, I'm stirring up something from the east wind to destroy your, your uh, adversaries. But instead, it says that we have, you have peace. That prompts the response from the angel of the Lord and says, oh, Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which you have been angry 70 years? So the report of the, the horse peoples, everything's quiet, but then the angel is always like, God, God, when? When will you have mercy on Jerusalem and Judah? You've been so angry these seven years. And we just see the Lord responds so beautifully. He responds with graciousness and comfort. He speaks to the angel of the Lord. And so what does he say? Um, we'll take the next one. Well, it's possible this is what the God was saying, at least this is what God was saying, that Zacharias said. Cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion, and I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. God asked Zechariah to cry out that God is not done and he's jealous for his people and for Jerusalem and Zion. Then I have a jealous slide. Actually, I have two jealous slides. Um, because this is famously how, uh, what is her name? Uh, uh, Oprah Winfrey, like, I'm never going to go to church again. God is jealous. You should have stuck around a little bit longer. Because it's just like God's wrath, God's jealousy is also good. And this, is, and this is why. Because God has emotions, but he doesn't have emotions taint, tainted like ours. So our wrath is not always holy wrath. God's jealousy is always good. Our jealousy is not always good. But here we see that it's good that God is jealous for his people. He's jealous for them not to fall into sin. He's jealous for them to be a holy people. He's not jealous like some 
some person in a movie and just wanting things for themselves or something, a green of jealousy. No, it's a good, good and right thing that God is jealous towards his people. Um, I'd choose lights. Yeah, intense passion for his city, zealous, jealous, uh, passion that his people should re- reflect who he is. Uh, and also just like why are you not displaying who I am and demanding that devotion uh, it's funny with the word passion which actually means suffering that God has intense suffering for his people then that they should be right uh, with him that they would would uh, not fall into sin that they would be the light of the world that they were supposed to be so it's good for God to be zealous for his people and for his city that he had put his name in before. Um. Oh, sorry. There was one more part. The last part of 15 is that God is uh, angry now at the nations because because God had been angry with his people, but now the other people made it worse. Like, instead of acknowledging that God was punishing these people, the other nation made it worse by oppressing the people. And so God is not not excited about that. He says, yes, I was, I was a little mad with my people, but you made it worse. You made it worse. Uh, and now I'm going to deal with you. This, uh, this is like God saying that you, we are not supposed to gloat over our enemies. We're not supposed to ex- ex- exploit people that are suffering. And Proverbs 24, 17, 18 says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord should see it and displease and turn away from his anger. Uh, that has hit me many times, but I really try to live it now. Uh, to not like gloat when somebody else is in trouble because why would that be good for us if we really want the best for people Um, so then we see in 17 16 and 17 that God shows up and he comforts he brings comfort towards his people he motivates them to keep building because he says, my house shall be built, declares the Lord of hosts. So Zacharias like speaking this to the people that they would be encouraged to pick up the tools to again build the house. They were scared to do it, but the Lord is going to say, I will build my house. I will return to Jerusalem. I'm jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. So it's God's giving words to Zechariah to encourage the, the downhearted, discouraged people who are afraid of their enemies and say, I am going to be with you. You should rebuild. And as of just some of the people giving testimony today, like this is God doing this to a people he's chosen. And this people has been nothing but 
stiff-necked, rebellious, idol worshippers, greedy, exploiting one another for money, having empty rituals to God, and not a right relationship with God, but God shows them mercy. He's even thrown them out of land for 70 years because they were idol worshippers and did worse than the people that was in the land before. But he still shows up and he still shows them grace and mercy. When people say God is angry in the Old Testament and just mean, maybe they haven't read the whole Old Testament because I'm almost going to say something bad, but I'm pretty sure I would have killed them all immediately. With this amount of rebellion against the Lord of the universe, but he shows them comfort and grace to these kind of people. And I've had in parentheses, well, then there's hope for us all who's done the same. God says, I'll come and I'll return with Jerusalem with mercy. Just stating these facts so that the people will be strengthened. And this, remember, this is not just like some kind of weird small God. No, this is the Lord of heaven's armies, the one who has all power in heaven and earth. And so he comes and through Zechariah speaks these words of strong encouragement that they should rebuild the temple and the city. He says, cry out, the Lord of heaven's armies. And he says, my city shall again overflow with prosperity. And the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. So the first vision that Zechariah has is a vision of hope of restoration of God's people who are downcast, oppressed, even though they're allowed to go back. They're supposed to be encouraged to rebuild the temple, and God says that his city again will overflow with prosperity, and God will comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. This is a vision to paint for the people that things look stinky right now, but do what I've told you to do. I will be with you. Don't be afraid of your enemies. I I know, I've seen it, and I will deal with your enemies. So it's encouraging the exiles, the returned exiles, and saying that God has seen their oppression and that he will judge them and he will set them free of their enemies. He says it's time just to resume and build the temple. God responds to the plea of the angel. He has mercy on Jerusalem and Judah and the cities. And he speaks with, to them with comforts and gracious, comfort and gracious words. God can comfort them and us in hard times and speak with grace and mercy, even though these people 
had continuously rebelled against him. God shows them grace. God sells for Jerusalem and Zion. And he says, I have returned with mercy. The temple will be rebuilt. I will comfort you. And I will again choose Jerusalem where I had said my words. As I have said that I will be. If we can just, well, some of you can, because some of you are refugees. You come from a land that was just destroyed. Being in the rubble of this destruction, God would come and say, rebuild. I've come back. What grace and mercy would that be? It's a vision of a new and a better time where God's people again will prosper, his people. And like I said, you're like, oh, but I'm not a Jew. I don't live in Jerusalem in 50, 52, in 520 BC. What does that to do with me? It's a good question, but I think you can already feel it as we've gone through the things. Because this is also about the character of who God is. I have been challenged this week and other weeks as well with, with seeing how Paul many times in not very good situations asks us to give things and asks us to rejoice. I was like, how can he do that? I think he can do that because he can see who God is. And he understands the many attributes of who God is. Because from prison, he knows that God's in control. He knows that if he needs to get out, he'll get out. That's why he can sing the worship songs in prison. So when we go through these times, we don't need to despair. We can, prom- we can be promised that God is in control. We can know that God knows us better than everybody, anybody else. And God has made his son known to us. And that was the way Paul was restored to God, not by Paul's works by his own works. So what gives us joy? Can we have joy that God is in control of all of it? Or does it frustrate you that God is in control and not doing what we want him to do? I think the joy is in knowing that God is in control and that is good. We also read that God hears our prayers and pleas. We talked about that in First John not so long ago, but does it does that motivate us to come to God to pray with Him even more? That He's He can do all things, has all the power, and that He actually listens to us when we pray, and He will do it in His will. Can also be on the other side a little bit. Nerve-wracking that he knows everything because he also knows that when we're selfish and complaining and just want things our way. 
But maybe the marvel lies in that the God of the universe, the Lord of heaven, armies, heaven's army, actually listens to our prayers and requests and our cries. It's that God is not unaware and that we have an empathetic high priest who knows what it likes to be, what it's like to be us, as the Hebrew says. The second part is like he doesn't listen to our prayers. Here God intercedes and comforts with grace and comforting words. And then again, it's not because we've been awesome all of our lives. No, because we've been just like the Israels, most of us. We were in darkness and sin and, and, and children of wrath. But God draws near to us and shows us grace. While we were running the other way, serving ourselves or other weird gods in this world, God sends his son, Jesus Christ, so that we can find comfort and grace through him. This is the gift that we need, but we could not earn. So God provided it for us. What grace and comfort that is. Then the Oprah question. <laughs> but God's also jealous. What? How can he be jealous? Well, it's just like I talk about. It's like God's anger is also good. So is his jealousy good? You see, he's jealous for his people. Isn't that great? Thinking about God saving you from a child of wrath to a child of God. Knowing that God is jealous for you, that you don't do dumb things and sin, and that he has a jealousy for you that you continue to be holy, sanctified. Isn't that exactly grace, love, and mercy? That God would be jealous for his people. It's also a matter of like, is our view of God, this was this one commentary, I thought it was interesting. God is not a God who sits uh, in the heavens and he's like this. He has no emotions. No, God has strong emotions. He's angry. He's passionate. He's, he's uh, jealous. And I, I think when the, the, us in the West, like, or some places, when we, when we think we have to look like the, uh, those are called Stoics and Greeks, like we don't show any emotions. I don't, that's not God. That we might do that in church sometimes, but that's not God. That's something we take from the surroundings. God's full of emotions. They're right emotions, but he's full of emotions. So if, and I, I'm from this part of the country, so I don't necessarily show emotions a lot. So this is also a challenge to me. Because God, if God's passion has a lot of emotions, then why am I not showing mine? Even towards God and one another. So it's great God has emotions. Now he's also, his is also perfect. Because it shows who he is. It shows what he does. That he is passionate about his people. And we see it in Jesus too. We see Jesus cry. We see he feels sad. We see he has concern. We see he's tired. We see how he uh, empties the temple because he's a seal for the Lord's temple. 
So when we come together here and show no emotion when we worship, we're probably a lot more like the world than we're actually reflecting who God is. Because it's good that God has emotions. It's good that he has a call for us to be holy. It's good that he wants us to destroy sin by the blood of Jesus. God shows us his passion. His passion. His suffering. God shows us that he suffers for our salvation. Because he is jealous for his people. So he will keep us. He will call us when we go astray by faith in Jesus. God also will perfectly just, perfectly, God will judge perfectly. Either Jesus' blood has covered sin or payment will be made to God. Nothing is hidden from God. Everything will come to light. Jesus will perfectly judge everything. I've said this many times to you. This is a great comfort to me because there's nothing any evil person has done that wouldn't be disclosed. No human trafficking person will get away with anything. No one who's done weird stuff will get away with anything. Either Jesus' blood has covered it or they will pay. All the weird things in this world will be judged correctly and rightly, not by me, but by Jesus. Whatever authority has used, abused power, or whatever we can never settle here will be settled by God. That's why it is amazing that God judges because he can do it exactly the right way. Here he promises that he will judge the nations that oppress them because they showed no mercy. This will be the same in our world, that God will be judged because they had not trusted in Jesus. And so they have chosen to pay their own penalty. Okay. Hope of the vision was a restored, better future with God in Jerusalem for the people. That hope and vision we also have. But what are you talking about? It's not the same as any secular person would say, yeah, yeah, Jesus came, but things are still a mess. You're right. Because our hope was not that Jesus just came once. The hope is that he's coming back to make all things new, as Isaiah also said, new heaven, new earth, making all things new. That is our blessed hope, that all things will be restored to shalom. And we will be made new, and we will be with God. And the troubles of this world and the race will be completed. 
we again will be totally with God and all things will be made new. So how will we respond to this great vision of restoration? First for the Jews and then for us and then for us all. How will we respond to a God who is that amazing, who is that powerful, yet still shows us grace and mercy? I will ask, like the psalmist, then why is my soul cast down? It's actually getting better now, so it's good. I just need to preach this. How will I respond to a God that that's amazing? By using my emotions to worship him in spirit and truth and with the emotions of thankfulness and rejoicing. Uh, that would be my response. <laughs> like, what is your response to this? Of course, this is only found if we have believed in Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and coming back. Without this, there is not this vision of hope. So if you're out there and here, it's like, I don't know. Well, then my plea with you as an ambassador of Christ is be reconciled to God. Because him who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ, we can have taken all the sins away and be restored to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you. Well, just I just thank you for this. Thank you we can read your word. Thank you we can encourage each other with who you are and encourage each other with what an amazing God you are. Even though your own people that you chose just flat out reject you and fellowship you all the time. And maybe also us sometimes. Still shows them, you still show them grace and mercy and you call them to yourself. You're jealous for them. You judge rightly. And we thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being this amazing God who comes in and shows his love for us. The original passion, you suffer so we can set be set free and we can rejoice with you as you conquered Satan, sin and death and offered us your righteousness God help us to be full of joy because of who you are help us to shine this place to the world that needs it help us to have this vision of you restoring all things that we might live for you and for your glory and for the good of the people around us that they might see who you are. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, comments, questions, angry outbursts, I'm here. You can talk to me. Um, also, maybe I don't say this enough, but I try. If you need somebody to pray with you, please don't run away. Just talk to somebody. Myostel, Joseph, Lee, Kaleen. Pray with one another. 
encourage one another through prayer as well. Um, special thing, just give. Uh, I don't. I don't do this a lot. But like there's, we have a, today. We have a superhero among us. She's taking care of three kids, cooking as well. So really, just give her a lot of thanks and encouragement. Uh, Brenda is cooking for us as well. So. Um, maybe also even just ask if there's anything you can help with her as Charles is gone for 10 days and just so we um, uh, show love for one another in that way. So Thank you. Yeah, let's, uh, let's raise for the benediction and then, um, yeah. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely that you may, that you, that your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.